are wise to realize that you have not grown to who you are without the help of others. And it really would do us well, more often than not, to pause for 10 seconds or so and just think about it, be grateful for it. Some of them, as was said, still may be with you. Some may have moved on in life, and some may be in heaven. But the reality is you have not grown to be who you are without the help of others. Engulfed in this question that has become the, the, the phrase for this series, won't you be my neighbor, is the reality that we are designed to do life together. We may not act like it all the time, but it's the truth. We are designed to do life together, not in isolation. When I was a child, one of my favorite Bible stories. Like, I loved it on the Sundays when this one happened in children's church. It was the story of five neighbors who obviously believed this truth. The truth that we're designed to do this together. We are not designed to do this in isolation. They believed it, and I know they did because they chose to live that truth out. And so today, I want to tell you that story. But this time, maybe from a little different angle than I saw it when I was a kid. Mark chapter 2 records the story. And this is how Mark's gospel gives it to us. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So we've been there before. They know who they're dealing with. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. A story, a true story, Jesus back in Capernaum. He's shaking up the religious establishment. He's performing miracles. He's creating a stir. And on this day, Five guys. I don't know, maybe they opened the hamburger joint in Capernaum. I don't know, they should have, because I would go there. Five guys. I'm a fan. Five guys of whom four can walk. Four can walk, one cannot. But it is obvious that these five guys are connected. They are together. When four of them say to the other one, we will pick you up at four o'clock, it's literal. They go to his house, they pick him up, literally, and they take him to the house where Jesus 
is preaching. I, I want you to imagine this perhaps from a little different angle, and one that I certainly I don't think fully grasped when I was a kid, and I love this story that would show up again in children's church, and guys are digging through a roof. That's just a cool story. I, I want you to see it from maybe a little different angle. A mat. Now, I don't own a mat from Israel, right? I don't. So we're just going to pretend like this guy had a friend from Mexico, right? <laughs> a friend from Mexico who gave him a mat on which he what? On which he was. So here's what I want you to imagine. Do you know how much effort it takes to lift this? <laughs> Seriously. You ever tried just picking somebody up? Much less a full grown man. I want you to think for a second about the effort. I want you to think about what it takes to lift him. I want you to think about then what it takes to walk with him. And no doubt, probably somewhere along the way, they stumble with him. I mean, th these are not paved streets. These are, these are rocky streets of Capernaum. I, I want you to start to imagine what's connected to a full-grown man laying on that. Some scholars believe that the house that Jesus is in that day might be Peter's mother-in-law. The reason some people believe that is because just a chapter or so earlier, Jesus is in her house. We're told that it's her house. Many people have gone. He's, he's doing similar to what he's doing on this day. So I'm saying maybe. Maybe. What we do know is that on this particular day, other people, a lot of other people, apparently have the same idea. We got to get to Jesus. We want to hear him speak. And we know that typically when he speaks, there's other things that tend to happen. The place was completely packed. There was standing room only. It is clear in this story they can't get in. Now they could have just waited. I mean, really, I realize it takes time, but it could have just been, you know what, there's no way into this house. Eventually, Jesus is going to have to rest at some point. He's going to have to eat at some point. If we just wait for the break, hey, we can surround the house. We're going to get him coming out of some door. And you know what? Just tackle him if you have to. I don't know how the conversation went down, but somewhere in this conversation, somebody says... How about the roof? How about the roof? And they all look at him like, what? Now again, I want you to imagine. Now we're not just lifting a full-grown man to carry him a distance. Now we've got to figure out how to lift him to the top 
about. I don't know how they did that. Like, I don't know if that's everybody in a corner, right? Everybody in a corner, we're going to try to pick him up, or maybe there was just one of the four who was uh, a little extraordinary. He looked a little like Hulk and said, you know what, I got this. Just put him on my shoulder. You know what I mean? I don't know exactly what that looked like, but what we know is that the effort was put forth to get this man on top of the house. Well, what now? Well, obviously, you dig a hole. Now, the first century Galilee house, a roof was a combination of beams and branches and limbs that, that, would, that would crisscross in a mesh pattern. And then on top of those beams and branches and limbs, there would be a, a, a thick clay that would harden. And so I want you to, they're digging. They are digging. And the hole has to be big enough, right? This is, this is not just enough for a chimney to come through. We gotta get a hole big enough to get a guy on a mat. Because it's clear, it says they lower him on the mat. We got to get a guy on the mat through this hole. I try to imagine Jesus' perspective. Right? He's in the middle of that house. You imagine there are people everywhere. And I always imagine as they are digging right there, there's a clay and there's limbs, and then suddenly stuff starts to fall. And, and I don't know why, but I always see Jesus smiling. When that happens, I just think that's what he did. I imagine him smiling. Now, I don't know what Peter's mother-in-law's doing. I'm not so sure she's smiling, right? She's looking up going, what? What is going on, right? The hole in the, the roof. This is a whole new level of won't you be my neighbor. I don't know if they used their robes. You know, when they take off a rope and tie it to the edge of the mat and they, they each lower down the corner, I don't know if they figured out some kind of pulley system. I, what we know is they are determined, so nothing will surprise me when we get to heaven and we ask the question, how did you literally get him down to Jesus' feet? But what we know is they get him to Jesus' feet. And imagine the room. People are looking at the man. People are looking at Jesus. Maybe a few people are looking at Peter's mother-in-law, like, what's she going to say? And the four guys... On that rooftop, we're looking down, wondering how this is going to go. The man is in the position that he's always been in. He's on his back, probably on the mat. But what has changed this time? Is that for the first time in his life, when he looks up, he's looking into the eyes of Jesus. And therefore, he is in territory that everything could change. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw his faith. 
That was it. It doesn't say that. It's interesting. It doesn't say when Jesus saw his faith. It says when Jesus saw what? Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now come on, I'm trying to imagine first, first responses, four guys who are looking in, man who's laying on the mat. Maybe the response was a little bit like, oh, okay. Because that is not exactly why we came here. That, that wasn't actually going to be the request. That, that wasn't what we were actually asking for. That, that's, but, oh, okay. Okay. Some Pharisees in the room aren't saying okay, though. Check this out, verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say... Get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, come on, which one's easier? Which one's easier? What would be required for sins to be forgiven? A cross. A cross would be required for sin to be forgiven. What we're talking about in these two questions is the something, something between an eternal and a temporary. Jesus knows what they're thinking, but he continues. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that man walked out of that house on that day with a new faith and new legs because of the faith of some tenacious neighbors. Tenacious neighbors who were so determined to get their friend to Jesus that they were willing to destroy somebody's house to make it happen. I felt like the title today would be, Who's Willing to Go to Jail for You? <laughs> no, that wasn't good. But I do want to push you a little bit. I want to push you a little further. Matt. It's the angle from which I want us to think about this story today. A man who lives on a mat. It is a symbol. It is a symbol for him of weakness. This represents what's wrong. This, this represents the struggle in his life. But it's also a symbol of those things that make it difficult to be in a relationship with him. So in other words, this is the way I want you to see it. I, this is the thing that 
he could have used to keep people at an arm's distance. This map that represents his weakness, this map that represents his struggle. It's the thing that he could have been ashamed of. This is what's wrong. It's the thing that he was adamant about, do not touch. It's the thing that he's fearful about, that if somebody gets too close. But on the other side of that equation, this map also represents for the four neighbors of his, the thing that they could have said, you know what? This is just too much. This is symbolic of we're saying it's too much. We better not get too close to that or this is going to make life harder for us. We better not get too close to that or it means everywhere we want to go, it's going to take us like 20 minutes longer to get there. This represents that thing that says it's going to be more difficult. This is going to be a burden to bear. And I want you to realize that in that day, in that day, there was a stigma that went along with this too. There's a stigma in the sense of it's, it's not just a physical burden. But most people in that day would look at someone who, who spends all of their life laying on a mat like this because they cannot walk, asking the question, I wonder what they did to make God mad. I wonder what they did wrong, that they don't walk. And we know that stuff from other stories, right? A, a man who was blind, and they're all asking, who, who, who sinned? Was it him or was his mom and or his parents? And Jesus is like, neither. Jesus brought some clarity that sometimes those things, they were not connected to a direct sin of that person or their family. It was from living in this messed up world. But that map was that symbol for that man's life that when people looked at him, they wondered what did he do wrong. But I want you to notice at that point of pain, this did not become a hindrance to the relationship. The man on the map didn't say, no, 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 no. You are not allowed in this space. And the four guys did not say, no, 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 no. This is just too difficult. That point of pain, <clears throat> instead of being a barrier to the relationship, actually became the point of connection that created the possibility for a miracle. That's good. Because we all have that. We all have that. Maybe it represents that thing that you are nervous that people will never find out about you. That you're mad. That thing that you don't want anybody to ever see. That you're mad. Maybe it's something in your past. It, 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 it's an insecurity. It's a fear. It's that thing that you try to hide. It's that thing that you try to avoid. It's that thing that you at least try to put a mask on. 
so it doesn't look exactly like what it really is. But the bottom line is you are afraid to let people get too close to this because if this actually gets out, nobody's going to actually want to be in a relationship with you because this makes it too difficult. This makes it messy. Everybody's got mad. It may represent that confession that you really do need to get honest with God over. It may represent that help that you actually need to ask for. It may represent that weakness that you, it's time for you to, to, to own and acknowledge. It may represent that insecurity that you need to admit. It's the trauma. It's the tragedy. It's the trial that you are trying to walk through and survive. It's the hurt. It's the habit. It's the hang-up that you are trying to wrestle to the ground. It may be the sin that you have committed. It may be sin that was committed against you. The thing in your past... Or maybe your personality. But think about your family. Or maybe your finances. But it's some circumstance that we try at all cost to hide. Because we're afraid that if somebody sees this, if somebody knows this, they're not going to believe. So you can use that map to either keep people at an arm's length, or you can see this map as an opportunity to invite somebody in, even at this point of pain, because this point of pain can become a place of connection that actually becomes an incubator, if you will, for healing and change. So a couple of questions I've got for you. A couple of questions. Here's the first one. Who's carrying your mat? Nobody got to where they are without some help. So who's carrying your mat? And here's what I want to attach to that. Your miracle might be just on the other side of your vulnerability. That's the story. You've got some people who it appears they want to be close. They, they want to connect with you. They want there to be something real. But so far, you have done this at arm's length because you are afraid if they find out, you're afraid if they see, you're afraid if they know, then, then they surely are going to run. But the point is, if you got people carrying your mat, it may just be it's time for you to step through that barrier of vulnerability because the miracle that God may want to do very well could be just on the other side. Second question. Second question. Whose mat are you carrying? I messed that one up. So it's supposed to say, whose mat are you carrying? All right? And the thing that I want you to attach to this is that somebody's miracle may be just on the other side of your inconvenience. So you're carrying somebody's map, and, and, and you're beginning to see, here's what this map really is, and this is the thing that they try to keep and hide, and, and, but, but you see it for what it is. I'm saying the miracle that God may want to do in their life may be just on the other side of this barrier of inconvenience that is time 
for you to step through. Summertime, starting to feel like it. Stuff definitely growing, right? People start to think about travel. We do. Our family always thinks a little bit in the summertime. It's a time when all our family tries to get away for at least a little bit of time. And uh, we typically run toward the sand, all right? But we prefer sand that is attached to water, right? Not the sand that is attached to sand. Deserts aren't fun, but beaches are, all right? So that's typically what we like. But one of these days, I, I want to take, especially my son, I mean, I think we all enjoy it, but especially Nick, he and I kind of had these conversations. One of these days, I want to take him to some of the na national parks in the Northwest. Just some of those places that I've seen pictures of, but for whatever reason, never really traveled in that direction, never really been able to go, you know, and to see the mountains and the geysers, and I know there were certain ones that, that, that you can actually see the animals, I mean, just cool stuff. I wanted to see stuff like the redwoods and the sequoias. I wanted to see that stuff. The sequoias are, are interesting to me. There's one little twig of a tree, right? The sequoias actually are known to, to, to be uh, more massive than the redwoods. Now, the redwoods sometimes grow taller, but in terms of mass and volume, the sequoias are about as big as it gets. They, they sometimes grow, though, to be 300 feet tall. They have a, a, a base diameter, an average of 40 feet, and some of them reach 100 feet in diameter. 100 feet. The bark on these trees are 30 plus inches thick. And it's just unique how God built the bark because there's actually a, a, a flame retardant in the bark. So when, when the fires happen, it actually helps the sequoias. And, and, and so they don't actually burn up. In fact, they are so resistant to both pests and fire that the most common way that sequoias die is they fall. And you're like, how in the world does a tree that massive fall? And the answer is because their roots are actually incredibly shallow. They don't go very deep. Roots of a sequoia tree typically go somewhere between 6 and 20 feet deep. Now you're saying 20 feet, that seems like a, a lot of feet to me. Well, not if you're 300 feet tall, it's not. You got 300 feet above the ground to be less than 20 feet below the ground. That's not a lot of anchor going on. But you know what? Very few sequoias actually fall. And the reason is because they typically don't grow alone. They are usually in groves. That's how you find them. And so although the roots are only 6 to 20 feet deep, the roots of a sequoia tree begin to spread out and they cover a lot of territory and they actually start to intertwine with the other roots of the other trees to where underneath it just becomes this mesh of a root system. And together, even when the winds blow and the branches are covered with snow and ice, they stand. It was Samuel Taylor Coleridge who 
wrote a, a work once called Youth and Age. It's a poem where he reflected over his past and the strength of his earlier years. And one of, one of the cool phrases that he uses in that poem reads like this, friendship is a sheltering tree. He's thinking about his life. He's thinking about how he got to where he is. And he's thinking about the, the strength that's been there. And his, and his, his conclusion is friendship. <laughs> it's, it's like a sheltering tree. You have not grown to who you are without the help of others. And throughout the Bible, we see that kind of picture. Even for the mightiest of men like David, David needed John. For the mightiest of people, like Elijah, God gave him Elisha. Friendship, a sheltering tree. I want you to see just a couple of things about this friendship before we wrap this up today. I want you to notice something about these neighbors. I want you to notice something about these friends. The first thing is this, the faith of a friend is active. The faith of a friend, in this series we can call it the faith of a neighbor, it is active. I think a lot of times when we think about faith, we simply go mental. We do. When we think about building our faith, it's almost this picture with most folks. I think of we, we, will, we will ourselves to this place of strong spiritual certainty. In my mind, I want to be, I want to be strong, certain, and, and then I want to then convey that to you. I want to be able to boldly convey my strong spiritual certainty to you. But I want you to notice that throughout the stories of Scripture, including the story that we read today, the faith is very active. It is not just mental, it is active, it is physical, it is tangible. It is hard work. And in the story of these five guys, it, it literally is visible when they pick him up. When they carry him through the streets. When they lift him to a rooftop. When they lower him to Jesus' feet. These guys understand spiritual maturity sometimes means sweat. In fact, sometimes a little sweat is the stuff that waters the seeds of miracles. I hope you know that. Sometimes spiritual maturity could be measured in calories. The calories that you're willing to expend on behalf of another person. It's physical. It's tangible. It's hard work. And sometimes someone else's miracle is on the other side of your faith. Sometimes someone else's miracle is on the other side of the risk that you're willing to take. Sometimes somebody else's miracle is on the other side of convenience. It's on the other side of your bank account. It's on the other side of your calendar. Someone's miracle is sometimes just on the other side of your very active faith. Second thing I want you to see about these neighbors, about these friends, is that the faith of a friend changes life stories. The faith of a neighbor, it changes life stories. They 
are a part of activating a new story. This man walks away that day completely changed, truly inside and out. Not only does he have new legs that work, right, but, but he's, got a, he's got a new heart. He has been forgiven, Jesus said. Some of you have heard this said, your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. Your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. Here's all that means. If you and I had a conversation and you begin to tell me who you let be the voices in your ear, if you begin to tell me who you let be the opinions for your life, I, with just a little bit of effort, could do a pretty decent job of pred predicting where you're heading. His story was changed because of their faith. So my question is, whose story is being changed by your faith? Whose story is being changed because of your faith? Now what I love about this story is not only did their faith just change this man's story, but their faith changed the story of a whole community. Because we read in verse 12 that, that everyone was amazed. They all began to praise God and they said we've never seen anything like this. Their faith caused a community to see how great God is. This your community See how great God is because of your faith. One more. The faith of the friend becomes a stage for Jesus to show up and show off. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm saying this is what Jesus is supposed to do. He's Jesus. There is nothing wrong in him. There is nothing manipulative in him. When you are God and you are holy, it is all about who you are. It is. It is about your goodness. It is about your greatness. What does he do? He shows up and he shows off. He shows off his character. He shows off his power. He shows off his compassion. Their faith became the stage from which Jesus demonstrate who he is. Maybe some of you are in a place in your life where you have been hesitant to take some steps that you know the Bible says is pretty healthy steps like maybe something like what was talked about earlier here today like being a part of a life team, being a part of a small group. But you've been hesitant to do that because you thought you know what, I don't know that I want to get myself in the middle of a group of people when I'm not sure that my faith is very strong at all. I'm not sure that I really have anything to offer that group. In fact, there's this. And I'm, a, and I'm afraid if I, if I show up, if I, if I put myself in the middle of, of some other people, I, I, I don't know if I can fully protect this. I don't know if I can fully keep this from being known. And I'm saying, come on. If that's your reason, then that is the very reason that you most need to be a part of such a community of people because right now in your life it sounds like you could borrow a little faith for a little while. 
You can borrow a little faith of some folks around you to where together some roots begin to dig deep as yours begin to dig deeper, as your right faith begins to grow. But you, you can use a little help. Or maybe you're the person who's like, I don't need to be a part of life. I don't need to be a part of something like that. Because you know what? I'm good. I really am good. I'm not saying that I got it all figured out, but it's okay. I'm good. I'm good. Honestly, I don't, I don't need that. And I'm saying, I think you're wrong because we all need that. But even if you were right, out of today's story, I would have another argument that says, even if you've got this all together, there just might be some people who could borrow a little bit of your magnificent faith. There are some folks who could use a little bit of strength that you seem to have. We were designed for that. If we keep walking this out, we realize that some of us might be a little hesitant just this whole series, this whole this whole be on mission series, this whole walk across the street thing, this whole walk through the fence thing. I don't know if I have the energy, the capacity, the strength to carry a mat right now. But I'm telling you that your decision to take the step down the driveway, across the yard, and both being willing to take your mat with you and being willing to deal with the mats in other people's lives, that vulnerability that weakness included may be the God gift to the people who live all around you, who are laying on their backs, paralyzed in this world, wondering, will there ever be any hope? I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to move past, move past convenience to some commitment that I'm going to be willing to carry that. What if we were willing to measure our level of being a neighbor by the access that we are willing to give people to the mats that we carry? What if we were willing to measure? Am I, am I being a good neighbor by the access that I will give them? Well, what if we were willing to measure, am I being a good neighbor by, by the sweat, by the effort, by the calories that I'm willing to burn, right, in order to be able to carry somebody else's mat? The question is, is our faith transforming the lives of those around us? Don't misunderstand me. Jesus doesn't need me, nor does he need you to change people. Lives. He does not. He does not need us to pull off miracles, but he allows us to be right in the middle of it all. And he will use your life, including your mat, to set the stage for him to show up and show off in the lives of people who need him. Let me show you one more thing. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, 
It's the book of the Bible that we call Romans, right? Any of y'all ever read Romans? Is that impressive or what? I mean, when you when you read all that Paul writes, this is one of those books that, that you just walk away going, like if we were, and I don't mean this in any bad way, it is all Holy Spirit inspired, all perfect, but when we read Romans, there's just a part of me that goes, whoo, Paul, I think that's your best. Know what I mean? And I'm not saying that it's better than the other. No, you just know what I mean. When it comes to the, how he presents it and the words that he uses and the depth of what we're dealing with. I mean, it, it is like Paul saying, like, look, this is my statement of faith. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. It really is, I think, the clearest presentation of the gospel theologically uh, of salvation. He explains it. It's systematic. It's weighty. It's heady. It's academic. I mean, this is theological. You ever read chapter 16? This is how chapter 16 reads. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. From you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Paul says, She helped me. She helped me, and she helped all y'all. Phoebe. He continues. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. So that's pretty cool. We will get to heaven one day and dude's going to be walking around going, first convert in Asia, right? Very first one. That's what Paul says. Calls him by name. Keep going. Greet Mary, who worked very hard. For you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. He's like, they knew Jesus before me. And in my following Jesus, they come to prison with me. Here's what's so amazing. It's as though Paul gets to what most of us who study theology would want to declare this is Paul's greatest work. He, he just unfolds this book of Romans and then you know what he does? He lets the credits roll. The credits roll. And after these names that I just read to you, there are more, there are 20 more names that he gives. It would take us too long to do it today, plus I don't know how to pronounce them all, so I'm like, I'm not doing them all. But 20 more names and people that he, he refers to, but he doesn't even call them by name above those 20. They were people who've gone on mission with him. They were people who have cared for him. People who have bankrolled the ministry. There were people who've gone to prison with him. Some of them he discipled. Some of them discipled him. There's one guy, one guy, he calls him by name Rufus. You gotta love that name. I love Rufus. And he refers to Rufus' mom. He doesn't call her by name, but he says, she was like a mom to me. 
Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? It made me think about we stand up here on a Sunday like last Sunday and we celebrate Mother's Day. And there's that part of my heart that always wants to say that there are moms who may not be actually biological moms to certain kids, but there are kids who look at you and go, thank you for being a mom to me. I'm saying one of those was the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I can't tell my story. I can't tell my story of faith without mentioning these names, and neither should you or I. When we talk about what we believe, when we talk about what Jesus has done in our lives, there are certain people that we cannot leave out of the story. For some of you, it really is life team leaders. But for some of you, it's been teachers, it's been coaches, it's been praying grandmas. We all have a Romans 16 list. But I want to flip that today. I want to ask you one more question. Whose Romans 16 list are you on? Whose Romans 16 list would you be on? Because you chose to carry their mat. You chose to allow them to borrow a little bit of your faith. When, when theirs was weak, you chose to pass push past convenience. Friendship, neighboring, absolutely invites the awkward. <laughs> but the awkward initiates miracles. <laughs> neighboring is hard work, but that hard work leads to transformation. Neighboring reflects and refines our faith, but that faith has the ability to change the stories of people around us, to change the story of the neighborhood. Here's the charge. Pick up somebody's map and walk. Pick up somebody's map and walk. Just realize it may take you a little longer to get to where you think you're going. And realize that it may require a lot more sweat than it would have if you tried to make a journey on your own. But come on, the eyes into which you are looking, they are not your project that need to be fixed. They are people whom Jesus loves. Pick up somebody's mat. God, I thank you for a story today. Maybe we could begin to observe from a little different angle. Now we think about men who's laying on that mat, paralyzed, and that just becomes the image, God, of so many people around us in this world. God, we, some of us can remember when that was, that was the image for us. God, we didn't know where to turn. We didn't know where hope was. But you, you sent people. You sent people who picked up our map and walked straight toward you. And God, I'm asking that you would, within the hearts of your kids, God, build that kind of faith. God, that kind of faith that goes so 
God, even beyond just biblical, we know, we want to know the truth, God. We want to study your word. We want to know the truth of who you are, how, how faithful you are, how trustworthy you are, God, how powerful you are. We want to know who you are, but we also want our faith to be what you have described here, a faith that's willing to work, a faith that's willing to sweat. God, I pray I pray for those who are in the house today. I pray for those who are hearing our voice online today. God, those who carry a mat that they have been so ashamed of, so afraid. God, today, may they see you who love them. And may they know that there are people who love them because those people love you. I pray that you would help us not to use that mat any longer to keep people at an arm's length. But today, God, you would give us faith to want to begin to step through the vulnerability.